Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 256. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit therapynotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code THERAPYCHAT when you sign up for a free trial at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. This week, we are again going to be talking with Janet Courtney, PhD, who is an expert in infant and child and family therapy with children and families that are affected by trauma. This week's episode is part two. My first conversation with Janet, we heard last week, and if you missed it, there's a link in the show notes for this week's episode. This week, I think the topic is something that I have heard less about and definitely did not learn anything about in school, which is infant mental health. So I think that this will be really interesting to you, whether you are just someone who's interested in understanding more about mental health, or if you are a clinician or a parent. We were all once children and this information is relevant to all of us. So I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Let's dive right in. Quick note, I just wanted to make sure you know that if you are a therapist who's interested in joining one of my trauma therapist consultation groups, I will be opening up registration in January and more information will be available here starting in January, 2021. All the information you'll need to register. Thanks. 
And I'm really glad that you started talking about the kinesthetic storytelling. I'd love to sort of shift gears a little bit and talk more about your work with zero to three children in that age group and, and your first play therapy method. And because as I was saying to you before we started recording, I just don't think that there is a lot out there about ways to work with infants and toddlers who have mental health challenges that they're they're faced with. And in, in, in our culture, we tend to just think they don't know what's going on. They don't remember. So they're not impacted when something traumatic happens. Well, absolutely. And this is one of my areas of expertise is the infant mental health and infant play therapy uh, modality. And I also just had a, a book that came out in April of this of this year uh, called Infant Play Therapy, Foundations, Models, Programs, and Practice. And I also have a, a chapter on uh, first play, infant play therapy in the Healing Child and, and Family Trauma book. But you're right that what, see, what we know about working with children, especially in the area of play therapy, is a lot of the focus over the years. Traditionally, we've worked with children and been trained to work with children ages three to four and above, Mm -hmm. which left a huge gap of, okay, so what about the zero to three populations? And a lot of what we know now is that there is always this myth that because maybe a young child didn't recall or remember a trauma that they might have had as an infant, then since they didn't remember it, then they're okay. Well, we do know now, and, and I credit the amazing neuroscientists out there, what I call all the really smart people, Bruce Perry, Daniel Siegel, Vander Kolk, Alan Shore, mm-hmm. uh, all these really amazing people who now research the neuroscience has come to be, you know, come to the forefront in the past, like, say, 20, 30 years to really let us know that peering into the window, you know, of the mind and the brain, that yes, that that brain really is wiring up in those early years. And the the neurons, the synapses are firing. And if they and they're experience dependent. So if they, you know, it's like the neurons that fire together, wire together, and and those that don't die together. And so going back to that, it's experience dependent. Can you explain that that phrase experience dependent, just to make sure everybody's with you? Right. So it's, it's relational. It's what that infant has gone through, their life experiences, what has been given to them and what hasn't been given to them during those early, for that first year of life, the, the first, the second year of life. And so they, you know, because the brain is just amazingly just growing. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's coming together. It's, as Alan Shore explains, it is wiring and then, you know, it, then it dies and then it kind of comes back and it's based upon what life experiences that the children are and infants are experiencing during that time. So who are the caregivers in that child's life and what type of caregiving are they receiving? 
So do we have attuned caregivers? Do we have a set child has caregivers that attend to the needs? I was able to spend time, my husband and I, with the, the Bowlbys a few years back, uh, mm. Sir Richard Bowlby. And we were invited to their home in, in England, which I was very, very honored about that. And so, but Richard talks about, and he's the son of John Bowlby, and he always talks about this. Uh, he asks this question to his audience. And of course, I've learned it from him and I do, I provide it in my trainings to the practitioners that I'm, I'm training. But he says, what are the, the two most important things that help to build a secure attachment relationship between that parent and the infant? So think about that for yourself, Laura. I'm going to ask you that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the two factors that help to build a secure attachment relationship for an infant? They'll put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> and we'll, well ask yeah. the listeners to think too. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the answer should be, but I'm going to guess that attunement would be one of the main factors and the presence of a secure caregiver, you know, safe, a safe, secure presence of the caregiver. That's, those are the two things that I come up with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so the way that I've learned it is the first one is how sensitive that parent is in helping to relieve the distress of that child. So if the child is in distress, how sensitive is that parent to help to lower the stress in the child? So what is the distress? The distress would be, um, are they hungry? Are they cold? Are they afraid? Are they, are they sick? You know, so these are some of the areas that we look for. What do we mean by distress? Not did the parent take the cookie away from the child or say, no, you can't have that cookie now. That's a different type of distress. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, that is the first one. And the other one is, and this is where, when I heard this, I like fell over in my chair because I was like, are you kidding me? This helps to build a secure attachment. But when you think about it, it, it's really the truth. And that is how much does the parent or the caregiver and the child experience joy within the relationship? Mm. So it's the joy within the relationship helps to build secure attachment relationships. And so that's really, for, for me, the, the crux of what the, the work is in a foundational work in the first play therapy, where we're helping to facilitate joyful experiences between that parent and infant, or maybe that parent and the child. So we're focusing on the strengths in the relationship. We're focusing on the resiliency in the relationship. But going back to the joy, if you think for yourself, and if you have relationships in you know, your life, you know, a partner, what made you decide that, you know, maybe you had a, a date together, but what made you decide that you wanted to have a second date with that person? <laughs> 
So, or if you have a, a group of, you know, friends, you know, girlfriends or, you know, guy friends that get together and you go out for lunch together, which I can't wait to do, by the way, after all this COVID's over. <laughs> See friends. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but when, you know, when you're done with that lunch, what do you usually say? You know, let's say you have a, you're out with a group of, of girlfriends. And what do you say? Say, oh, let's do this again. Mm-hmm. Let's get together again. When can we do this? again. Well, that all goes back to that parent-infant relationship and what we call the reciprocal serve and return of the relationship is where, you know, the parent initiates something to the child and then the child might coo back to the parent or they smile back to the parent or they use that wonderful body language to say, yes, I love this. Do this again. That they are doing every single signaling to that parent that I enjoy this. I really, really like this. Let's do this again. And so it's a a reciprocal co-regulated relationship that then begins to happen. It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. So in my first play, infant play therapy model, what we're doing is to help to facilitate the joy within the relationship and how do we do it? We provide, we do it through teaching parents how to provide touch, touch techniques to their infant. At the same time, they're also learning a therapeutic story and it's a manualized program. So the, the story is called the baby tree hug. So we pretend that the baby's a beautiful tree. And so we teach the parent how to guide them to touch the, you know, the legs, the, the limbs of the, the legs or the limbs and the feet or the roots and the hands or the leaves. And so then we're encouraging the eye contact, you know, that's happening but between that parent and, and child and also being attuned to how that child is responding to the touch. So we teach the parent prior to beginning the story massage, how to ask permission from their infant, how to respect, respect them. And that, that begins in infancy. And then we take that all the way up through childhood, always respecting that child and that the child recognizes I have boundaries. I have boundaries that need to be respected. And so I, I have one of my practitioners told me that she was, had a, um, uh, grandparents that had custody of, of their, their grandchild. And the, the child was like about about two years old. And so she did the first play uh, therapy model with, with the grandparents. And so the 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 parents taught the the child the the baby or she's two how to that we have to ask permission first. And so the practitioner came back and she said the grandfather said well, you've ruined it for me. Now she's asking me that I have to ask permission for everything. (laughs) (laughs) But he said it in a way that was, I'm happy about this because I'm feeling good that she knows that she's developing boundaries and that she has boundaries and that she has her, that her body belongs to her. And that so many family systems where that's not taught and the, the boundaries of body are so violently, you know, violated. Yeah. And so it's huge, huge work that I feel like I'm bringing to the, the table here, you know, because 
you know, we, we crave touch, we need touch, but how do we give it? And that also reminds me, I have a, a friend and um, she's in England and her name is Jean Barlow, wonderful woman. I love her to death, but she has a program called, uh, called child to child massage in the schools. And she's actually taken it all over the world, but they provide, they actually have teach the children but they start them in like preschool how to provide uh, touch to children in the the classroom but they do it through like massage on the back and they children always have to ask permission of each other before they can you know have that time and so I, I have a, a girlfriend who's a school counselor and she says Janet it's so beautiful to and she's in in the UK and she said, so beautiful to pass, the, go, you know, after lunch, they usually do the period of massage in the classrooms. And she'll go and I'll walk by the, the classrooms and I see the room lights are dimmed and that the children, they have some light music going on and the children are providing this time to, you know, to each other. So I use that model as a foundation for the, the kinesthetic storytelling uh, for one of the, the found, you know, one of the roots of what I use for the, the kinesthetic storytelling, but it's pretty amazing what they're, they're doing in the, in Europe and in, in different places with the, the children in the classroom. And I have a, another book that I'll mention here. It's called touch and child counseling and play therapy an ethical and clinical guide. And that there is a chapter in the book that's related to that school program that I just, I just mentioned and I just talked about. Yes. And that, you know, for all of, you who are internally recoiling at the idea of touch and therapy, even though this isn't about the therapist doing the touching, it sounds like that book would be able to help everybody settle down and understand a little better how it can how it can help. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a powerful book and, you know, it looks at touch from all different angles for, you know, children that have been sexually abused and, you know, therapeutic models that use touch as an intervention, which mine, you know, I, for the kinesthetic storytelling, it, it is a, a therapeutic touch model, but again, we're not providing that we're, we're using the parents as, as doing that, but it is a sensitive topic. And again, I write about that touch, you know, the area of touch and the heal a child and family trauma book as well. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, I, when you were talking about the baby as a tree, I forgot exactly what <laughs> you called it, but that, that um, intervention that the parent can do with the child, I just had this like thought that the first thought was a sense of delight like the the parent and the child are experiencing delight within their relationship together. Oh, that's such a beautiful word. I, yeah. I, I love that word. And that's exactly what we're facilitating because we know when we provide that touch and we, we get the, the hormones are, are being released in the body, those positive hormones, the serotonin, the, the dopamine, the you know, oxytocin, that those high levels of joy are, I, I know in that moment, the child's brain is wiring up mm -hmm. for healthy neuropathways. Yeah. Yes. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes 
few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but Therapy Notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes and there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. You can get two free months by using the code therapy chat. Now let's get back to our interview. Exactly. And you know how, I mean, I know we, most of us probably have heard before about the the studies where the um, infants and young children who were so severely neglected in orphanages and countries like Romania, and they did the brain scans and found that the, you know, the areas of the brain that experienced joy and pleasure were smaller. I hope I'm remembering that accurately. So if you know that I'm talking, that I'm missing it, please tell me. But just thinking about how like, you know, you want to be able to have the experience of joy as uh, one of those neural pathways that's like the super highway, not the little dirt road, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to, to, to put it. But yes, I mean, that's, it's, it, you know, that's a very sad thing that has, that we understand that happened in some of those orphanages. And yes, I'm, I'm aware of those brain scans and, you know, in the areas of the social and emotional development in the brain that they absolutely were like, you know, black, you know, blank, there's no activity happening within, yeah. within that part of the brain. But, you know, it, and it's not easy, but it can be done. So what I want to bring here is some hope. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the mentor that I worked with. And she this she got me on all on this touch topic because she wrote a book called the, the Dialogue of Touch. And when I first met her back in the early 90s, I attended a, a workshop with her. And she was talking about a play therapy model that worked with children not using toys but using the relationship. And back then with developmental play therapy, which was her model, the practitioner would do the, the, the developmental games with the children directly. And as I was sitting in this workshop, I raised my hand and I said, I said, Dr. Brody, I said, what about the concerns of practitioners touching children? And of course she had been, you know, she was in her 80s at this time. So back in the day, the concerns about practitioners touching children or teachers, it wasn't so highlighted for us until like around the 1980s when all those high profile cases came into being. And then everybody as a society went, what? You mean, you know, we put these people in trusted positions. But anyway, so her response back then was like, oh, I've never had a problem with that. And so I, I have to say, I, 
you always have to be careful what you ask because I actually ended up answering that question. And what I realized later is like, oh, it's the ethics. It's the ethics of touch. So going back to those children, you know, in Romania or, you know, or orphanages is the lack of touch. And that we know that touch and attachment go hand in hand, literally. You can't talk about with touch without talking about attachment and attachment without talking about touch. They, They absolutely go hand in hand together. And this goes back to the sad sadness that we're aware of is that some infants are you know abused and some infants don't get that the experience of someone giving them nurturing loving touch but the hope is and this is where I want to come back to and I know I'm coming full circle now that the hope is this is what Viola Brody would say is that for especially the younger you can get to them the better if a child did not get good experiences in those early years that it's not too late if we can have a good caring caretaker, a, a foster parent, who can then be taught how to have that child pick up what they missed, teach them how to go back and give that child what, and I call it first play because it's the first type of play that we have in, in life, that play between, that luscious play between a, a parent and an infant where there's that joy within the relationship. So if we could teach that parent or the caregiver how to give those experiences to that infant or to that child, they can actually pick up what they missed. And this goes back to the neuroplasticity of the brain. The brain can change. So I had a a situation one time where I I had a mom, she adopted a a child from uh, China. And so she, so at four years old, and she got the child when the child was about 12 months to 18 months. I think the child was about 18 months old when she finally was able to bring the, the baby home. And so then she came to me and the child was now four years old and was having night terrors and, you know, a lot of behavioral problems. And so I said to the mom, I said, well, when you brought her home, I said, how did you, how did you interact with her? You know, you know, what did you do with her? And she goes, well, I I just treated her like a, a regular 18 month old child. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, did you sing to her? Did you rock her? Did you play, you know, developmental games like peekaboo? Or And she looked at me and she said, no. And, I, and then I explained to her a little bit of the theory and how, you know, children can, can pick up, you know, what they miss. And, you know, if they miss those developmental, act, those developmental experiences, um, that, you know, what can, what can happen? And then I said, I looked at her and I said, well, guess what? And she said, what? And I said, it's not too late. <laughs> and then she but she looked at me, though, she was really stunned. And she, her mouth just kind of dropped. And she said, you know what, I wish somebody had said this to me, had told this to me, when I brought her home when she was 18 months old. 
so anyway, I gave the hope and, and she was willing, you know, that's the other thing, you know, with when we're going to go back and do the work of the developmental trauma and, and, and do the healing work with it. You have to have the available caretaker that's willing to put in the, the work to do it. So that goes back to the commitment of, okay, I'm going to teach you this, these ways and we can practice in the office together and I can guide you. And, and, but then when you go home, you have to commit to it. At least you know 15 minutes two times a day 15 minutes and I say like 10 minutes 15 minutes and you know just to make it like something reasonable because if they feel like oh I have to do the, the whole you know story you know massage with them or if I have to you know if it seems like a long time then they say oh I don't have time to do it if you say oh if you just do five minutes if you do one minute then hopefully when they start practicing and getting together then they it feels good and joyful and then they'll continue <laughs> so I just I just offer it in bike size bite sizes but we need for them to make that commitment so it's okay to ask our families to do that. I mean, they're coming to you, they're paying, their insurance is paying to see you, or they're paying out of pocket to see you, however, you know, they're, you're being reimbursed. So we have to say, okay, it, it's not going to just happen the magic just with me here one hour a week or every other week, you have to also be a partner in this with me as a parent to, you know, provide the, the interventions that I'm asking you to do or, you know, give it, give it a good try. And if that one doesn't work, let's try another one. I, as I hear you talking about that, I, I think about a question that, you know, it may be a little, a little off. I don't know. It's not quite off topic, but it's, it's like, I think for many parents, well, let me just say this. I tend to work with families, if I'm working with a child, which I don't do now, but I have in the past, you know, oftentimes where the attachment wounds are for the parent and where the parent's trauma comes into the relationship is, is where it interferes with the child and parent relationship, it seems. So when you said, you know, the parent has to be willing, I'm wondering if you have any suggestions, guidance for therapists who are working with families in this way where how the parent can help, how the therapist can help the parent get bought in. Because, you know, I think if they have their own trauma or their own attachment wounds, it can be, it can feel too vulnerable somehow. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that goes back to starting with the, we have to start with the parents first and so we have to understand uh, their, especially when we're looking at the first play model, but you know, we have to understand their touch experiences in life. And we need to understand their attachment experiences. And because, again, this goes back to they can only give what that what they've received. Yeah. So if you know, especially when we're in session together, and this is where we can lose out on, you know, having to do things telehealth. I mean, there's limitations to the, the telehealth process, but we can do our best to, to work with, with parents in that way. So sometimes we need to have sessions that are separate from the child because now we're working with the parent with their own inner wound of their, their inner child wounds that, that need to be, addressed. And sometimes as a, a, a therapist working with children, we always have to kind of make the distinction of boundaries. And 
where am I going to be the therapist for the child? And where might I need to refer this parent to someone like you? <laughs> you know, to maybe work on some of the areas that we've identified in the sessions. So I can, you know, take it so far with them. But sometimes I would do that. I would have, you know, say, you know what, you know, maybe it would be good for you to see Laura. <laughs> and Laura can maybe kind of dig deeper with you with this. And, and then it kind of helps to keep that hat, you know, for like, I'm the child's therapist, I could be the family play therapist. But now once we get into the, you know, now am I going to be the couple's therapist? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And then, then it starts getting really, especially if they decide that maybe this, they, this couple is deciding they don't want to be together anymore. And then, oh my goodness. And like, <laughs> then, then, you know, I call the, the ther- child therapist, I'm the neutral in the, in the relationship, but then, you know, it can get very, very, very uh, out of control very, very quickly. So I've learned over time, it's better to have different people that can, you know, different therapists that we can refer to, that can then handle the different areas that may emerge. But then again, on the other hand, if it's like a parent who has been has some wounds, and maybe they were abused as a as a child, and so now I'm teaching them to provide touch with their child. So maybe I, if it, again, this goes back to if I'm in session with them, I might say, can I show you on your arm that, you know, what I mean by this type of movement, this type of touch with your infant? Is that okay with you if I do that? And so then I can touch them, you know, if the parent is agreeable with that, and I can show them on their arm how to how to do that. Or if it's a backstory, I say, you would, can I are you okay if I show you on your back and do this with you? So the parent can feel it. And then they feel it, then they know what that infant is experiencing, or they know what the the child is experiencing. But then I might have exercises that of connection that I might do with the Mm -hmm. parent, like, you know, in my training, I I do like a holding hand exercise, you know, have practitioners hold hand with each other and one's the giver, one's the receiver. But that's really relevant. That's a powerful tool to to use with a parent or a teenager. I've used it with teenagers in the office where, you know, we just maybe hold hands for a few minutes before we start the session just to connect, depending on the the presenting problem, depending on the, the issue issue that the you know because it might not be obviously you know relevant for all the children that we're working with and then it's also that the mediating factors if that was a teenage boy I might not feel comfortable doing with that with them versus maybe a teenage girl I might feel comfortable you know so we always have to look all the different mediating factors involved and that type of touch and then you have to use your clinical judgment for it thank you that's that's awesome and We've been talking a long time and I'm still eager to learn so much more. But for now, can you kind of finish up by telling our listeners a little bit more about your your training program and, and where they can get more information about that and your books and anything else that you're doing? Okay. Well, thank you so much. Well, I do have a website and it's www.firstplaytherapy.com. And you can go there and learn a little bit more about the infant model and then also the the model for the older children. I have an online course for the First Play Kinesthetic Storytelling course, and it is a, a self-paced course. 
it's intensive. It's like 35 hours of recorded training. Wow. And, um, and at the same time, because it leads to a certification. And then they, once you, it's like three different levels. And once you go through level one, then you contact me and then we, you know, we set up a a supervision or a consultation time together and then there's level two and then we have group and then I have group ongoing group sessions that that I offer with that. And the first play infant model program, I have normally always told myself that I would always be in person. (laughs) Mm. And because of COVID, I just did my first group online in July. And I was so surprised how successful it was because what happens is, is we have a live lab. And in that live lab, we actually have real parents and their infants come to the training. And in this case, the parents came on Zoom and the practitioners that were going through the training, they learned the, the manual and they implement that manual in real time with the, the parent and infant together. Well, I've never done this in any other way other than live training where the parent and infant actually come to the training. And it's, it's to me, it's like party time. It's like I, I always get so excited when the babies come. And, and the parents. And it's so magical. It's such a magical experience. And each practitioner is paired with their own parent-infant diet. Well, again, I just did this online and it worked out really well. And the parents gave very good feedback on how they virtually, they said that, you know, doing it virtually really worked out well for them. So the next training coming up is in November uh, for the first play infant model. And again, that's going to be online. Now that training is 45 hours and we're, yeah, it's a, it's very intensive. And then beyond that, uh, and that's for the a certification, then there's some, you know, they have to implement what they learned in real time beyond the, the training t- for the requirements for the certification. Well, it sounds amazing. And is it a CEU training for the certification? Yeah, I and I, as a play therapist, I'm a provider through the Association for Play Therapy. Uh, some people are, you know, you have to have so many hours to become a registered play therapist or registered play therapy supervisor. So some people are working towards their hours and they gain that in, in that way. And I also am a provider through the, the state of Florida for, for CEUs, EUs as well. But anyway, beyond that, uh, the the healing child and family trauma through expressive and play therapies book that that is um, online. If you go to Norton Publishing, I know that they have a, a web page there for for the book, and then also uh, it's on uh, Amazon. And then um, my other two books are also on Amazon, that the Infant Play Therapy book and the, the Touch and Child Counseling and Play Therapy book as well. Fabulous. I am so grateful that you took the time to come and talk to us on Therapy Chat today. This was a really fascinating conversation and I really enjoyed it. Janet, thank you so much. Laura, thank you so much for the invitation. And you are a wonderful host. You really <laughs> are. Thank you. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. 
To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code THERAPYCHAT, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.